With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to She Said, She Said, the only show of rock and roll comparisons and contrasts. I am your co-host, Lena Stagg, the author of the Recipe Records series, and we are going to bring you a fabulous show today where we showcase the wonderful germ from the White Album, as it were, the famous Esher demos, which were recorded by the Beatles in late May 1968 at George Harrison's home in Kinfons and that was in Easter, England. And with me today to give you the historical background and studio information for several of the Easter songs is my co-host, the lovely author of the John Lennon series, Jude Sutherland Kessler. Thank you. Thank you, my sweet friend. And hey, everyone, Lena and I are really happy to be with you on this holiday we're recording live on Martin Luther King Day in bitterly cold January. You may be listening to this in warm June or July, but today Mm -hmm. is rather chilly, and we're excited to share with you these newly released Beatles gems. Ah, so absolutely wonderful, the Easter demos. And really, up until very, very recently, the only way that people could hear the Easter tapes, or the Easter demos as they're called, is through bootlegs. People did not have these fabulous songs that the Beatles made on that late chilly May day in 1968 when they gathered to share with one another their ideas and their concepts for their upcoming LP. The only way you could have it, if you had a bootleg, you could listen to it. But the bootlegs, let's face it, the quality was pretty iffy. In some cases, the entire song wasn't even presented to the public. So, People wanted to hear what happened that day at George Harrison's house. Well, for the 50th anniversary of the White Album, Giles Martin, son of Sir George Martin, proposed to re-engineer the White, and as a bonus, he wanted to provide the public with a complete and clear offering of the Easter demos as well. And I want to tell you, the most exciting event probably of 2018, also known as 2018, (laughs) was that on the stroke of midnight on 9 November, that very auspicious day in the Beatles' career, in which in 1961, the Beatles met Brian Epstein, as he was called at that time. He came to the Cavern Club, and he met them for the first time on the 9th of November. Years later, Lennon fans know that that was also the day on the 9th of November that John officially met Yoko. He'd met her once before, but that was the official meeting. So on the 9th of November 2018, Lena and I were invited to a listening party for this brand-new White Album CD and the Easter Demos at Monmouth College, hosted by our dear friend, Dr. Ken Womack. Well, at midnight, 
we filed into a room, we all sat down in chairs, and we sat and listened to the entire Easter CD from beginning to end, and what an experience it was. It was moderated by our dear buddy Bruce Beiser, Scott Fryman, both of whom were on She Said, She Said in the last few months. I think Bruce was on twice in October and November, and Scott mm-hmm. was on in December, and we got to know Esher track by track. That is right, and I had mentioned that I call this Esher demo disc crack cocaine, and <laughs> I stand by that description because it is so addictive, and I I mean, the very night that we were at the listening party at Monmouth University, the Fest for Beatles fans, uh, president, owner, creator, Mark Lapidos, our dear friend, he was there, and um, he had copies of the the remastered White Album and the Easter demos for sale, and I wasn't even really sure of what I was buying. I just said, wow, this is all the new release, and let's give it a listen. And when we went into that room and listened to uh, Bruce and Scott explaining these tracks and what was happening, it was like it truly was like a bomb exploding in our brains as we were listening to these tracks of unheard of um, audio of the Beatles and, and these new sounds. Everyone's pretty much memorized the white album and and you know every every sound that is coming with each track but this was different this was all new and it was so so exciting and so crazy and you know a term i learned recently um jude when you mentioned bootlegging was there was a term that came about that time called beetlelegging and hmm. it was it was bootlegging of Beatles, um, actually, actually Beatles merchandise that was happening. So, so uh, that that term came came to me when you were explaining it. But we are going to discuss uh, several tracks from the Easter demos. I listen to it almost every day. I can't stop listening, and. <laughs> These these songs are just so fresh for our ears, and uh, the songs we're going to tell our listeners about today are two songs from George Harrison, Not Guilty and Circles, and two John Lennon. Of course, John has to be properly recognized. Yes, yes he uh, does. Two John <laughs> Lennons, <laughs> Child of Nature and What's the New Mary Jane. And we are so sorry because we recorded some music for our listeners. I think we'll be able to play is one for sure, Lena. Yes, I do not know uh, what is happening with the blog talk radio, but the audio tracks are not coming through. We have one track that came through, and that will be played at the very end of the show. That's our last, the last song that we are going to analyze that is Child of Nature. That is the only track that is coming through. So, okay. sadly, we had uh, had all of these tracks 
recorded in addition to a Paul McCartney track, which we wanted to make mention since we were giving all of the attention to George and John. We did want to make mention that that Paul has a shining moment on the Easter demos. A lot of um, a lot of people would argue that that Paul what is the shining moment on the Easter demos, but I'm not positive that I agree with that. His songs all sound exactly like what you hear on the White Album, in a, with an exception of a song called Junk. And Junk wasn't used by Paul. Um, it, it, of course, it didn't make it onto the White Album. And then Paul didn't use that track until uh, about 1970 when he, when he recorded his self-titled album McCartney. And the the working title for the song was Jubilee at that, and later at that, he he changed it to Junk in the Yard, and uh, by the time it got to the solo LP, he pared it down to Junk. And what an ironic title for such a lovely song. Uh, It's one of the best on his McCartney LP. It's a beautiful song and very nostalgic lyrics. Yeah. Music is really, really beautiful, and the same is true for one of the songs that we're going to examine today. Now, I have to tell you, I don't think the song is as beautiful in the Easter demos, but for those of you who have purchased the re-engineered white, this song is much prettier on the re-engineered white, so I recommend that you listen to it after the show, and that is George Harrison's Circles. But before we jump right into Circles, Lane and I want to pause for just a moment and travel back in time and to take you with us to the day that these songs were recorded. Let us take you down because we're going to Esher, England. Now, I'm not exactly sure of the date that we're landing back in time because we don't know that the day that the Esher demos were recorded was never recorded or jotted down for posterity, but we do know that by Thursday, 30 May, The Beatles were in EMI studio already at work on the new LP, so it was prior to that day. They were busy up to the 15th of May. If you look in Mark Lewison's recording sessions, you'll see that they had things they were doing up to the 15th. So it's sometime between the 15th and the 30th of May. Late May is the time frame given. It was agreed by all four of the Beatles that they'd motor over to George's house to do the recording. The location was great for all of them. It's a very short drive from John's house, Kenwood, which was located in Waybridge, Surrey, and also for John's neighbor, his beloved buddy Ringo, who lived at Sunny Heights, so a very short drive for them. It really wasn't a bad trip from London, where Paul was residing at Six Cavendish. But I think probably the determining factor in choosing George's house (laughs) was the fact that George had an Ampex reel-to-reel four track. So perfect for capturing these early versions of the songs that the Beatles wanted to place on this brand new LP. Absolutely. And so the day arrives and one by one, the Beatles pull up to Kinfons. And what does it look like? George's house was white stucco painted with Vivid, brilliant swirls of psychedelic splendor by George and Patty. The exterior of the entire house was covered by a large mural, which included images of hearts with arrows through them, 
the all-seeing eyes and rising suns, paths winding through magical forests and paisley collages. The house was one story with a heavy, high-pitched roof and many, many windows that opened out to the lawn. The front path was lined with flowers and topiary trees, and there were window boxes with yellow spring flowers nodding under the windows. It was like an Alice in Wonderland domicile out in the country and secluded, and it was the perfect place for the Beatles to gather. Um, the The living room in, in George's, I called it, crib, uh, the living room had a distinctly Indian flavor to the decor, and there were low sofas and large throw pillows and furnishings, and it must have taken them right back to their time in, in Rishikesh, which, although it ended rather unhappily, but was for the most part a restful break for from the world in which they were embroiled in, and they were able to focus on writing their music. We're not sure, we're not positive who was there that day, but there is one female voice heard on the demo tape. So we assume that that's Patty because, after all, this is her home, and she was probably passing through the room. She only speaks one time, and there is no evidence of any of the significant others being there that day. Both Mal and Derek Taylor are addressed in the Esher demos several times. So we're presuming that they are there. In fact, they may have contributed. Mal definitely contributed many times to the White Album. For example, he's the one that plays the handbell on What a Shame Mary Jane Had a Pain at the Party. He plays maracas on several songs. So Mal definitely contributed. Paul had said years later when he talked about the Esher demos that the Beatles' original plan was to have several rehearsals and several sharing sessions, just like this day at Ken Fawn's, to prepare for their time in the studio. They, they didn't want to go into the studio unprepared. They wanted to be ready to record. But as John told us years later, life is what happens while you're making other plans. So this is the one and only drawing board session for planning out the new LP that was extremely important for them all. And, Lena, or do we have circles, or is it still circling? <laughs> it is still circling, and who would have known that George would know that how um, profound the circles would get in 2019, but they are still here. And they are right. haunting me, and I'm and taunting me. So, uh, unfortunately, we will not have the audio for that. Perhaps on our Facebook page for She Said, She Said, uh, perhaps we can get some clips on to that page. So watch for that. We will try and make that happen. But uh, Jude is going to... <laughs> Jude is going to give us the historical background for this very mystical song that George shared with the others that afternoon at Esher. It is a haunting tune. I always call it my Halloween song. And um, it is called Circles. And so Jude, fill us in on what is happening behind the scenes on this song. 
Yeah, Circle's theme definitely centers on the Hindu philosophy that life is a circular experience. Everything circles back around. So the person that today may be your enemy, as he says in the song, may in the future be your friend. He wants you to remember that, that nothing is final. Everything will come back around again. And that really changes the way that people should behave. If you're thinking, hey, this person, I don't like them today. They may be my enemy today. In the future, that may be my dear friend. That changes the way you react. George is reminding us that nothing stays the same. And it's really interesting to note that this song was one of the songs, all four of our songs today were rejected for the White Album. But this song, Circle Back Around, it was selected by George to be the final impactful closing track, you know, that track that leaves you with lasting impact. The Beatles were always very careful to select a great song for their final track on their LPs. And in 1982, on his CD, Gone Trapo, George selects Circles. And the closing words of this song, which are straight from the Hindu philosophy, he who knows does not speak. He who speaks does not know. And I go round in circles. These are the last words that you're going to hear from George between 1982 and 1987 when he finally came back with the Cloud Nine LP. So this was the message that George wanted you to mull over in those five long years when he is absent. You know, George is that, you know, they, they, everybody called him the quiet beetle and, and he was, quiet but he was introspective and he was really summing everything up when I listened to circles it really struck me as somewhat of a traditional church hymn just as John's song Julia does for me on the the Easter version but unlike Julia George's hymn is very baroque and it has splashes of the psychedelic. And we have to remember that after the Beatles returned from Rishikesh, this is the period in which George returned from the sitar to the use of his loved guitar once again. But even though he was embracing rock and roll again, remember that George hadn't abandoned his love for the sound of Indian music. So in circles, his voice is still this monotone, mantra, chanting voice that he's been employing for the last 24 months. And the music is still heavily doused with rich Indian overtones. So that has not changed. Right. And you have to keep in mind, guys, that when George is recording circles that late May day at Ken Fon's, he isn't using either his guitar or his sitar. He's sitting down sitting, playing at an organ. Much later, Ian McDonald is going to tell us it was actually a harmonium. And he's singing at the organ. And I love the description that Richie Unneberger gives to the sound of that organ. He says it was an eerie organ, hence Lena calling it her <laughs> Halloween music. It was an eerie organ that seems to have been dragged out of a dusty, disused church closet. So think the sound of within you without you kind of transferred onto a church organ. 
So was it this eerie organ music that kept circles off the White Album? Yeah, maybe. Was it the kind of preachy theme of, you know, watch how you act because it'll all come back around? Maybe. Ian McDonald says something that I think is pretty out there. He thinks it might have been Paul's weak bass line. Nobody ever accuses McCartney of having a weak bass line, but he called it stringy. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Personally, just my personal opinion, I think it was still the same reason that gave George only one or two songs per LP, and that is his continued juniority in the group. I made that word up. I don't think it exists. Juniority. Hey, that's a 2019 word. (laughs) There we go, 2019, juniority. But he's still battling with John and Paul to be represented on these LPs. And so when they start to call songs, Circles is going to be one that they're going to say, no, we don't want this. And so the long wage war between John and Paul versus George is going to continue as George is gathering steam and the courage to write the forthcoming I Me Mind. That is so right. And with that in mind, let's look at a song by Mr. Harrison that focuses on that very theme, Not Guilty. Tell us about this song, Jude. Well, Circles is a song about religious philosophy, and it is the only one of George's songs written for the white that does not center on the theme of the way that George has been treated by his mates. Those songs include Piggies, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Sour Milk Sea, and Not Guilty. But Piggies while My Guitar Gently Weeps and Sour Milk Sea are sort of veiled. Piggies is very veiled. It sort of sounds like it may be about the record executives and so forth. It's very whitewashed. While My Guitar Gently Weeps is pretty much out there. Sour Milk Sea, you can tell he's going to make a move. He's going to do something different with his life. He's getting ready to separate himself from the Beatle Collective. But Not Guilty, uh, this song is out there. This is George standing up for himself without apology and without regret. In fact, in 1999, he stood up and told Billboard editor-in-chief Timothy White, this song is about the grief I was catching from Lennon and McCartney post-India. That's a direct quote. And George goes on to say, and again, this is a direct quote, I wasn't guilty of getting in the way of their career. I said I wasn't guilty of leading them astray and our going to Rishikesh to see the Maharishi. I was sticking up for myself. Peter Doggett, who wrote the biography of George Harrison, You Never Give Me Your Money, said that another issue that was really sticking in George's craw at this time was the incredible amount of money that the Beatles were spending on the launch of Apple. He had told them to their face, it was all too lavish, that's a direct quote, it was unnecessary. George had always been the Beatle who kept the sharpest eye, he was the tightest steward of the group's money, and he saw what was happening with Apple as an absolute waste of money. But in the song, he gives in and he says he won't upset the Apple cart, he'll relent, but he isn't happy about it, and he also isn't happy about the way they're making fun of him about his newly established Indian friendships, and he puts that in the song, too. Well, to make sure that the Beatles 
get the message and hear what he has to say when they finally, in August of 1968, go into the studio and record the song. George has them perform it a good many, many times, 102 times. And I'm sure that by the time that day was over, they were pretty tired of hearing not guilty for getting in your way while you try to steal the day. Not guilty for looking like a freak, making friends with every seat. Not guilty for leading you astray on the road to Mandalay. (laughs) I won't upset the apple cart. I only want what I can get. Wow. (laughs) Yes, those are pretty scathing lyrics. So it's no surprise that when John and Paul sat down together in the autumn of 1968 to decide which songs made the LP cut and which ones didn't, this is the one they did not choose. And that meant for years that Not Guilty was a Beatles song that was known to the fans but never heard. Like the new Mary Jane, it became sort of a legend with the Beatles, and people talked about it a lot, but it was never actually revealed. I I love this song. I I think, you know, not only for his his passionate lyrics, but the the instrumentation, I think, is, is just absolutely brilliant. But Robert Rodriguez, our, one of our friends who was speaking at the White Album Conference in New Jersey told us that it wasn't until March of 1978 during sessions for his 1979 album, George Harrison, that George accidentally ran across the Esher demo tapes and listened to them and decided to include Not Guilty on his new LP. Now, the sessions for the George Harrison LP took place during a period of real peace and happiness for George. He had married Olivia, and he'd become a father to Danny, and he'd lost a bit of his old edge. And so the version of Not Guilty that we get on George's self-titled album in 1979 definitely lacked the, so what you might say, punch of the Esher demo. And it certainly lacked the anger that filled the EMI song that was recorded over and over and (laughs) over 102 times. That song was filled with invective. And if you want to hear that version, you can go to the anthology. It's there in living color. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that color was maybe a combination between red for anger, lots of built-up, long-harbored resentment in that EMI version, maybe a little bit of splash of green, too, for the jealousy he had to have felt, you know. But mm-hmm. And this may have to be our last song today, guys, because we're coming in four minutes. The show, the live show is going to cut off, but the rest will be in the archive version. So if you want to hear the end of this, don't mi- don't miss it. Go to the archive show and you'll be able to hear it. You can fast forward to this point and then pick it up there. But we may have to use this as our last one. We'll see how it goes. A song that really lacks anger, in fact, it, it lacks any emotion at all, is John Lennon's mm-hmm. Child of Nature. And I cannot think of a better example that we could give you of how 
crucial good lyrics really are because what you're about to hear, and I do think we ha- this is the one we have, right, Lena? Yeah. Okay, you're going to hear a mediocre to subpar song. Yeah, you heard me say that about a John Lennon song. I never thought I'd say it, but we'll all, <laughs> all of us will immediately recognize it when we hear it because John was smart. He didn't release this song. He retooled it very effectively into one of his strongest offerings, Jealous Guy. What did he change to make it from a mediocre song into the song you're about to witness? Only one thing, the lyrics. Listen. On the road to Rishikesh, I was dreaming more or less. And the dream I had was So the story is that in Rishikesh, both Paul and John were inspired to write songs based on a lecture or a talk that the Maharishi had given about this close interrelationship between man and nature. Paul sat down and wrote Mother Nature's Son, which I don't think under Paul's singing rendition of it. It is the best McCartney song ever, but it is a great song. And if you ever hear John Denver sing it on John Denver's Greatest Hits or John Denver Live in Concert, oh, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. John penned Child of Nature. Well, on some level, John must have known that the lyrics were absolutely ludicrous. Child, child was no child of nature. In fact, after giving 33 years of my life to research John, I can only think of one instance in which he was profoundly touched by nature and which he really found his place in nature. And that is in May of 1964 when Cynthia and he went on holiday to Ireland and they visited the Cliffs of Moher. And Cynthia let him go out by himself out to the very, very edge of a high, high cliff. And he sat there alone with his feet dangling over the edge with that strong Irish breeze blowing in his face. And as he stood there looking out over the water, he found this kinship with Ireland and decided that that is the spot he wanted to retire and spend the rest of his life. That day, I would say he was a a child of nature, but Otherwise, John John spent as little time in nature as humanly possible. In fact, Mimi says that when she used to ask him to do any yard work, for example, mow the lawn, he would never finish the job. He couldn't stand being outside. He'd go out and just do half the job, she said, and then give me a squeaker kiss for the rest of his allowance money. So, really, he was no Yule Gibbons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, when when you listen to John sing this song, you you really get the feeling that although John's tried to create a song about the connection between man and nature, he can't quite take it seriously. As he sings this demo, he almost sings it in a mocking way. He loads his voice with vibrato and seems to 
be making fun of the song and of himself because he knows that the lyrics lack sincerity. But even though he senses that something's wrong, John doesn't give up on the effort, though, because he really works on the song that day. He does double-track his voice on George's Ampex recorder, and Ringo uses a shaker to back him up as well. But in the end, the song really just goes nowhere. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, a smart person knows when they've written something that's not good and they need to retool it. And in 1971, he gets down to brass tacks. He retools Child of Nature, and he changes it to something he does know about, something he is very well acquainted with, and that is feeling left out, lost, abandoned and unloved and so he writes this very honest and open song jealous guy and his lyrics now are powerful because they're from his own experience he sings very honestly i was dreaming of the past you know those days when for very complicated reasons i was abandoned by both my mother and father and my heart was beating fast i began to lose control i mean it's almost a panic attack i remember how i felt as a little boy when i was a Abandoned. I began to lose control. And then the line that John Lennon sings more than any other in his music, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry. This is what he's always saying because this little boy is always trying to scramble to get love back. What do I need to do to get love back? This song is about the real John, this little boy who's been so hurt so lonely, so abandoned in his past that never again was he going to be able to trust future relationships. He could never, ever relax into love without putting some kind of a premise on it. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true? He he was the person that could never quit being hurtful to the women around him because he has this deep need to hurt others before they hurt him. That's the real John, and Jealous Guy is a very sincere song. So it becomes one of his finest works. So really and truly, our thanks go out to Child of Nature because it is a great song's beginning. And as such, you want to hear this on the Easter demos in its entirety because for Lennon fans, it's very important. It is, absolutely, and I'm I'm so thankful that we were able to at least share a clip from that song. Do you think we have time to discuss I think we, it's what's the new Mary Jane? We, should we dare it? Let's dare uh, it. Let's do it. Let's go for it. <laughs> so so we're gonna our t- final song the, of the, the day is, is What's the New Mary Jane? And Jude, tell the truth. Do you think this is a great song? No, ma'am. <laughs> I do Uh-oh. not. And John did not. He said, when he was asked about it in the 70s, he said, this, is a, this was a thing. This is a thing I wrote with our electronic genius, Alex Martis, or Alex is all he said in the quote. It was called, What a Shame Mary Jane Magic had a pain at the party. Yeah, and that's all he says. And it was meant for the Beatles album. Um, John 
so trusted people. He always put his trust in the wrong people, and Martis was one of those people. He was on the trip with the Beatles to Rishikesh. John was completely enamored of him, thinking he was this great genius wonder worker in the electronic field. He thought that Martis was going to build the Beatles a studio that far exceeded the capabilities of EMI. He was convinced he could do that. He invested a lot of hope and belief in the man, and really... John was always looking for the next big thing to make him happy, the next big thing to save him, to to heal the wound in his heart. And in 1968, he had two next big things. One was Yoko Ono, one was Alex Martis, both very avant-garde, powerful, eccentric, and like most of the people that John believed could be the next big thing and save him, Martis let him down. But his influence can really be seen in the song because it's this foray into the world of the avant-garde. Ono has been strong in the avant-garde for years. Martis lives in that world. But people really give the two of them all the credit for Mary Jane had a pain at the party. And We've got to remember John's no stranger to double-edged imagery, to this whimsy that he finds in words, and to this leapfrog poetry. In his own right, and Spaniard in the works are replete with this kind of poetry. But the deal is that none of the other Beatles, A, understood it, B, liked it, C, went along with it. Paul enjoyed mixing meters in music. He liked doing in music what John liked to do with words. But Paul's words are pretty straightforward. It's John who cleverly pins Please Please Me and who creates I Am the Walrus. So this song is merely an extension of that. So um, we don't – I am I'm, – I'm struggling to – try and reload these songs again but it's just not working so Jude I I would say that I used to disregard this song somewhat but I recently have decided I'm a huge fan because I love this typical John Lennon wordplay John is a word master. He loved to pick up exotic words and weave them into poetry, and he does it here again. And so to me, this is typical John Lennon, amusing himself with the words and the music. And he is cavorting about in an almost childlike sing-song fashion and having a great time with the meter and the key, but obviously the words. Definitely. And it's very hard to understand this song outside of the 1960s. If this song could have been released in 68, the days of free verse and E.E. Cummings and psychedelia, think Strawberry Alarm Clock with Incense Peppermint. I mean, those were those Mm -hmm. days when images were floating Mm -hmm. about in this lavish lava lamp existence. Today, the song seems strange, but it's too bad that it wasn't released in its era because I think the 1968 Mm -hmm. fans would have eaten it up with a tiny magical silver (laughs) spoon. It had everything that 68 loved. Drug references, odd tempos, key changes, this gorgeous make-believe world that left reality far behind. Man, I wish it had been released then. Yeah, I agree. You are so right, Jude. And with those words, we leave you all to discover your own impressions of the Easter demos. You can purchase the beautifully remastered White Album, 
with a collector's poster and super liner notes by Giles Martin, Paul McCartney, and Kevin Howlett, the author of The Beatles at the BBC and The Radio Years. And uh, you can make it yours by going to the official website for the Fest for Beatles fans. It is thefest.com. And while you're there, don't forget you can purchase tickets for the upcoming New Jersey Fest, which is March 29th through the 31st. And it features Denny Lane, Lawrence Schuber, Jack Oliver, and Jack Douglas. But my personal favorite is Mr. Mark Rivera. Whom we would love to have on this show. So Mark Rivera and all of his friends out there, Mark, we would love to have you on the program. So Give us a uh, shout on our She Said, She Said page. While you're on the Internet, be sure you sign up for Lena's free blog and newsletter at Lena, and it's just like it sounds, Lane, L-A-N-E, and then uh, L-A-N-E-A, Lena Stagg with two Gs, lanastagg.com, and my monthly newsletter and blog at Series. Dot com because both of us have discounts and coupons and some pretty cool info coming up about the Beatles in the next few weeks that you do not want to miss. Absolutely. And coming up on 11 February, we'll be back with a Valentine show with a bit of spice. We'll have the author of The Pepper Effect, Sean Gaylord, with us to talk about his new book, and his Beatles podcast as well. But until then, we wish you food for thought, food for the soul, and food for the love of rock and roll. Tra and shine on. On the road to Rishikesh I was dreaming more or less And the dream I had was true Yes, the dream I had was true I'm just a child of nature I don't Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.